0: that narratives around things can inform the way that we interact with them. There's so much freedom that comes with a writing tool that doesn't require anything more than human intervention. To keep it tight and keep it small for as long as you can because that's where the magic happens.
1: Welcome to the Common Creative Podcast. I'm Paul Fairweather.
2: And I'm Chris Meredith.
1: And we're on a mission to lift the veil on the discussion about creativity in business. And this week, our guest is Caroline Weaver from New York, New York. And Caroline is an absolutely fascinating lady. I first became aware of Caroline a few years ago, looking at her online and in-person or bricks-and-mortar store in New York called cw pencil enterprise and her specialty and a business that she built is around the wood case pencil so the basic timber pencil is all she used to sell so absolutely fascinating story Um, chris what did we learn from
2: caroline well i'm thinking this on the surface might sound like the dullest podcast on earth the humble pencil how can you talk about that and yet we learned about the freedom a pencil brings to you. We learned about rediscovering the pleasure of a graphite pencil on paper. We, we learned about uh, how a pencil is permanent, and yet erase. it was absolutely pleasure to talk to Caroline. Um, I think we should get her in. So much to learn about pencils and their meaning.
1: Yes, let's get her in.
0: Caroline Weaver,
2: welcome to the Common Creative Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: A huge pleasure to have you on the show. Paul's spoken a huge amount about you, so welcome.
1: Yes, so Carolyn, I've been a fan of yours for many years. Um, when you had CW Pencil Enterprise, which I believe was a bricks and mortar uh, shop in New York that sold primarily uh, wooden pencils, uh, so uh, traditional pencils. So, look, let's just kick right in. Uh, why pencils
0: why pencils Um, I my answer to this changes a little bit every time and especially as time goes on Um, I I don't have a particular point of time when I really something really clicked and I decided that this was the thing I cared about but um, the woodcase pencil is a tool that I have used regularly every day consistently through every phase of my life. And um, it started kind of as a joke amongst my friends that I always had a pencil on me, whether it was in my pocket and my ponytail in my bag, most people had just like a, a disposable pen. And I always had a sharpened pencil. And uh, over time, it just became this joke that one day I would open a pencil shop. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I got carried away. And the more I realized like, you know what, like that, that is something I could do. That's something I would want to do. And I think when you're a young person who doesn't know what what you want to do with your life, it's easy to, I guess, grasp onto an idea and run with it. Um, and in my case, I ran pretty far.
2: Caroline, <laughs> can, I, can I, I jump in? I mean, I, I think we always have some of the passions that, that we might get obsessed with or fascinated by. But, you know, what we're supposed to do is become accountants and lawyers and doctors and things. And, but, but you went with that and took it right through to launching a business around it. How, how do you make that transition? And what gave you the confidence to, to be a kind of full-time exponent of something that most of us don't even think about?
0: Yeah. Well, uh, quite frankly, when I made the decision to do this, I was 23 years old. I was extremely young and had very little to risk and was also like just naive enough to believe that it would work. And so I think that helps a lot. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think like I, I, for me, a lot of where a lot of the importance I hold in having a job and even just being a person is in the value of storytelling and the narrative the way that narratives around things can inform the way that we interact with them and for me the, the i mean it almost almost didn't matter what it was i was obsessed with the idea of having a shop and getting to create my own narrative within a city and to get to create the narrative around something that i thought was interesting and could share easily with others and the pencil is such a such a democratic object. It exists in every culture and every society. It's accessible to everybody. And um, yeah, and a, and a lot of like modern history is wrapped up in the history of the pencil. And I just, the, the, it's the stories of the pencil that really got me and made me think that, okay, like this could be something that I could translate and share with others. I'm so excited
2: by the way you describe the peel of pencils, the pencils, the, there's so much to that. I know that the store is no more, I think, the pandemic sort of that, and that's why you're doing different things. Is there any chance of it coming back again in the future? I feel like I've missed that hugely by not visiting it and not being aware of it, and now it's not there anymore. <laughs> any chance it's going to come back?
0: Uh, possibly, in some form. It. I mean what it started out as and what it became are two vastly different things. And it turned out to be greater than anything I ever could have imagined from its conception. And I think that was kind of the, the, the blessing and the curse. I, um, I would maybe, I would maybe do it again, but running a business like that, it was just, it was just so special. And I think it, it was just the amount of work it took to retain that and to keep it so pure was so enormous. I don't think it's something that could have existed um, forever. And yeah, maybe it'll exist again. Um, I don't know. I mean, i still,
1: You're right. How, how big was it in the end? Because you started out just yourself and there's a beautiful photo, I think, I think on your last day and there's a big group of people. So how many were you, did you employ in the end?
0: Well, at the, at the beginning, it was just me and my best friend who was unemployed did a couple of days a week so I could have a break. Um, and in the end, it was, me and I had two full timers and then I had four people, maybe five people who were part time. Um, and mm. yeah, it was a full on operation that really worked, required about four of us being at work every day in order to operate the online store, the physical store, all the back end stuff. And um, in the end, I was the one doing all the back end stuff. And it yeah, that's not really why one opens a shop to sit at a desk in the back
2: I think that's a story we all identify with. Paul and I have both been there. But we find ourselves being the administrators rather than the, the creatives, if we like. I was fascinated by a comment you made just now about there was a challenge keeping it pure. Um, tell me more about that. Does that mean there was pressure to stop you've got pencils, so maybe you should stop pens, or maybe you should stop paper? Or what, what, what was preventing you keeping it pure? I'm, I'm interested.
0: Well, I mean, t- by the end, we were selling all sorts of things. And th- and I don't think that that was a compromise of my integrity at all. I think that was a natural evolution. But um, the fact of the matter is that in New York City or in any city, it's uh, the overhead is enormously expensive. And as, as an employer in a country where there aren't a lot of laws to protect workers, it was important to me to uphold a higher standard and to take care of my employees and do things like pay for health insurance and also make sure that I was keeping this accessible object accessible and not charging more than you would pay if you were buying the same thing online. And, um, I, yeah, it got to the point where there were, there were compromises that would have to be made and that's, yeah, I decided I wasn't ready to, I wasn't willing really to make them, um, and turn it into a business and not really a passion project, I suppose. um,
1: Um Caroline, when we spoke last time, you showed me, uh, or we, we spoke about your stamping machine, um, which mm. really fascinated me. That I saw it in the photo in the shop on the desk at the back. Tell me about that machine and where it came from and, and what you did with it. Um.
0: Uh, it's it's really cool. It's this machine. It's a tabletop hot foil stamping machine called a Kingsley press. And these machines were really popular, I guess, kind of, like, mid-century. They were made in California. They were kind of marketed to, like, the super crafty housewife, essentially. And it was meant to be, like, an at-home, easy plug-into-your-kitchen-counter and use, like stamping machine i don't know it came with it came with all these different attachments like you could get one for cocktail napkins you could get one for stamping journal covers or you could get one for stamping pencils and so i bought one of these refurbished off of ebay and collected lots of tiny tiny sets of type and we ran a service where we customized pencils and could put whatever you wanted on them um, all done by hand in gold foil on this funny old little machine um, and I still have it. It's in, it's in my home. It's in my living room in a cupboard, and I do break it out sometimes. Um, I couldn't part with it.
2: I, I'd love to hear a bit about the benefits of using a pencil on a piece of paper. Um, I, I, Paul and I, as you probably know, we, we teach people storytelling and creativity and so on. And something I rant about to the people I talk to is, is don't open up your laptop, and especially not. PowerPoint because it sucks your brain cells and you're much better off with a piece of paper. I personally love A3 paper for what it's worth and I tend to say a pen but some kind of writing instrument on a piece of paper is different from working on a laptop. But what I'd love to hear from you is how is a pencil different from a pen?
0: Oh well um, first of all a pencil is a much more tactile experience. It I guess, I guess pe- the same goes for pens, but I think more with a pencil because you could physically see it go away. You could see your point get duller. You can hear this, you could hear that happening. You can feel it, um, as you're writing. It's, yeah, it's very sensory. Also, like, assuming it's a good quality pencil, it smells good. It smells like cedar, probably. And, um, there's a physical act involved with making it usable again. And I suppose the best part is that it doesn't really malfunction unless it's a really bad pencil, which you probably be, shouldn't be using anyway. It, it's not going to malfunction like like a pen might. I don't know. I was just on a plane last week, and I had to fill out a customs form, and I had one black pen in my bag, and it didn't work. And nobody had a pen that they would let me borrow. Um, and I, it was infuriating, and I had a pencil, and it's set on the form, black or blue ink. I also had a green pen; wasn't allowed to use that. It was um, really frustrating. <laughs> you don't, you don't have that experience with a pencil.
2: I don't um, want to jump in the I, t- I want to tell you a quick story, and if you've heard about it, about the NASA space program when they were planning to go to the moon. Do you know this story? And and. They challenged a bunch of scientists to come up with a way of writing in a weightless environment. And so they had to invent a pen that was enclosed and that the the ink wouldn't leak out and it was pressurized. And uh, finally they worked out a way of getting the pen to kind of write in a weightless environment. And after the end of the Cold War, they met up with some Russian astronauts who'd also been into space and said, how did you crack the problem of writing in space? And they went, oh, it's very simple. Use a pencil. <laughs> have you heard that? Have you heard that story? I, you <laughs> know what?
0: I've heard that, and I have some really unfortunate news for you, Chris. That story is not true. Oh, um, I
2: know you broke <laughs> my world. Kind of, I don't believe you. It's fake news. It's it's,
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love yeah, that story. It's, it's a great story. You now, there's a um, there's a company called the Fisher Space Pen, and they um they're they are the company who came up with a way to make a pressurized ballpoint pen cartridge. Um, and they actually did it before NASA even showed any interest in it. It was literally just a guy who was like, hmm, I think I could engineer this. And he made it. And then um, and then NASA tested it out. And sure enough, they were like, oh, yeah, this actually works. And so it's been like the official space pen ever since then.
1: But, well, we don't like to let the truth get in the way of a good story. So, um, <laughs> but, Chris, I was signaling to you because I already I already told that story to Caroline and been enough.
0: Um, it's good to be armed with that truth because people love that story. It's a, good, um, it's a good way to spice up a conversation by telling the actual truth.
1: Well, that's good. Well, thank you for that. I'll, uh, I, won't, I won't forget. Actually, just some, one thing that I just wanted to pick up, um, and uh, I won't even do a dad joke about the point, but um, I just on the weekend I was at a friend's house, and they're both photographers, and they had this beautiful book, She's Interested in, in Learning to Paint, and I do a lot of still life, and she had this beautiful book. By a guy guy called Todd M. Casey, the artist still life. And in that, he talked about sketching. And, you know, and I've been drawing my whole life. And what he said is that when you start sketching, you start with a blunt pencil. um, Because you can, with a blunt pencil, you can do it softer and it's broader and you can move the line because you don't know exactly where the line's going to end up. And you don't go to a a, a sharper point until you're you're definite where you want to be. Now, I never knew this. Of 60-odd years of drawing, I never knew that you start with a blunt pencil. So um, I don't know. If you knew that, Caroline, I know that you've got some beautiful sharpeners and things. But um, I had another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I've just come across it, and whether you know this, there's a book called The Promise of the Pencil. Have you heard of this book?
0: Um. Do uh, I yes, you. I yes. Though I'm blanking on what it's about, um, and I.
1: It's a, it's a guy called Adam Braun, who was on the trajectory to be a Wall Street hedge fund or something or other Came from a you know upper middle class family in Connecticut. Parents were orthodontists, and he went to India, and he was struck by the abject poverty. He was talking to a young beggar child, barefoot, dirty, torn clothes, and he said to him, "If you could have anything in your life, what in the, in the world, what would it be?" And he said, a pencil. And so he took a pencil, number two pencil, uh, out of his back pocket and gave this kid a pencil. Uh, and that really not only made his day, made his life. But from that point on, this guy went, you know what? I'm going to. I'm not going to be a hedge fund manager. I'm going to start a charity. And he's got a thing, I think it's called the Promise of Pencil Schools. And he's had 30,000 kids um, around the world through these schools that he's developed. Um, and it all started with this idea of a pencil
0: Mm. yeah that's a wonderful story um and i yeah it's it is true like there's so there's so much freedom that comes with a writing tool that doesn't require anything more than human intervention um and yeah i think especially i I guess you could romanticize it all you want but especially an ephemeral writing tool um i think that that has a has like an an especially potent power and freedom that comes with it as opposed to a pen or another yeah, a tool to mm. mark things with. Um, is, that, is that the
2: point that actually a, a pencil is, is more obviously not just for writing words, it's something that you can sketch with and draw with. Whereas a pen, obviously you can draw with a pen, but it seems to be more specifically about writing words. Whereas a pencil is both, you can, you can be, it's, in a way it's, it gives you more freedom. I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that word freedom in connection with a pencil. Mm. It seems like a very lofty thing, but now I think about it, a very, very obvious connection.
0: Yeah. Well, the a thing that makes a pencil like I think just so cool. If you boil it down, it is completely permanent. As in, it is completely light fast. More than any other ink, you could sign something with a pencil, tape it in a window, and it would last forever. Um, but it's also erasable. Like how amazing is that, that it's completely permanent and completely erasable at the same time? Um, there's no no other writing tool that can be that. It's amazing.
2: Fascinating. I I mean, Paul, as you know, is a, is an artist, I'm a photographer. And one of the things I agonise over is how digital images anyway will vanish so fast they will get lost. You know, if you've just got your images on a hard drive or on the internet, they will vanish eventually so how do you preserve them and there you are just giving me a way of preserving images albeit not photographic images fantastic uh, do, do you yourself what, what do you do with pencils do you write do you draw or do you just sell them what, what do you do with your pencils
0: i do everything with them i've never um used them for more one thing than another i i have where i'm sitting right now i have a tray that i keep all my writing tools in always at least one sharpened pencil it's what i use to write my to-do list to write in my journal every day to write any writing project i'm working on to sketch i sketched out a piece of furniture i want to have made today it's um yeah it's my trusty sidekick and i I really use it for every everything even like if i if i i'll sacrifice one every now and then if i need to like stir a can of paint and i can't find a paint stirrer. they're (laughs) they're good for many things
1: (laughs) (laughs) i uh I I I um, yes I, I I do that as well, but I I feel so guilty when I stir a can of paint with it. Um, you you wrote a book. You have a book called Pencils You Should Know, and it's a it's a beautiful book. How many pencils are in that book?
0: Oh, you know what? I'm mean, it's embarrassing because it literally says on the cover how many pencils are in that book, and I don't remember.
1: <laughs> I'll have a look. Well, anyway, what the point is? How how did you select the pencils? Because I'm sure that's only a very small. Uh, uh, number of the pencils that are available. And I do notice that you have the uh, the copper plate from that comes from Sydney in Australia so uh, mm-hmm. that was a, a nice nod to Down Under. So how did you select the pencils is probably the point I wanted to make.
0: Um, well it's, it was kind of meant to be like a very brief, engaging, visual history. And I previously to that book I'd written a book called The Pencil Perfect which was like an actual written history. It was very dense. It was a written history of the pencil and when i was speaking to an editor about making a more accessible version of that we thought well what if we picked all of the pencils we could think of that have the most engaging visual design and the most interesting stories that can encompass as much of the pencil industry and the pencil history that we can and put them chronologically in a visual book and so that's what that was we kind of went from the earliest known pencils and thought, well, what can we get a hold of? That's really, really old. And then we worked our way forward and tried to hit every country in the world that has made pencils um, in the past.
1: Great.
2: Chris, I'll tell you what's whizzing around my mind is that I'm talking, I'm, I'm becoming more and more fascinated by this subject. And I'm, I'm I'm also struggling to think of a more nerdy subject uh, as well. And yet, so here I am in this court. In this, tell us, can you tell us a little bit about? I don't know. A pe- I'm holding a pencil right now. I don't know if, if you know anything about it. It's called a copper plate. It's a 2B pencil. Or tell us something about a, a, a story of a pencil that might be in the book. Or if you can tell me about my pencil, that would be amazing. But it's just a pencil I bought in a story in somewhere.
0: <laughs> well, I, I believe copper plate pencils are like kind of like the Australian standard. Is that right? Like that's what yeah. you could Is get like so- if you go to your office supply store
2: that's exactly where it came from yes no eraser for people listening it's there's no eraser it's a kind of burgundy color and it says copper plate on it and i selected 2b because T B is a kind of a good middle of the range pencil it's not super hard it's not super soft so yeah that's what i've got
0: here yeah i i guess here in the states our our kind of office supply store standard is the dixon ticonderoga which is the yellow one with the green um And yeah, those ones, they're, they're not owned by the original company and they're not even made in America anymore, which is really sad. But, um, that was one of, that was like the first commercially successful pencil in America back in the 1800s. That pencil has been around for a really long time. And it was, yeah, it was, um, it was created by a man named Joseph Dixon, who was hell bent on making a modern pencil and just like, didn't the machinery didn't exist for it. It just like, it was impossible. People were making them by hand for the most part. And he was an industrialist and he made a lot of other things out of graphite. He made graphite crucibles. He marketed like the first graphite product that's meant to be used as a lubricant. He had this huge factory in New Jersey to make other graphite things. Um, meanwhile was pouring what must in modern in the modern day be equivalent to like millions of dollars into this like failure of a pencil operation, basically. Um, and, yeah, he died and never saw his company become known for the pencil until I believe it was like his, his, uh, stepson took over, um, and created the, the first like properly like modern industrial mass producing pencil equipment. They were the first in the world. Um, and that's, it's cool. Cause that's still the pencil that we see at our just like regular stores here.
2: I, I think I saw you say on a video clip I tuned into that the, the pencil is perfect. You can't improve on it. You don't change it. It is what it is. There's nothing that can be. Uh, is, is that right? Uh, one question in my mind is that uh, self-propelling pencils, I take it mm. those are rubbish I've never found one that I'm happy with. It. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I agree. They're just a completely different thing. You can't compare the two. They're not the same thing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah, since the industrial revolution, almost nothing has improved about the way the pencils are manufactured. It has remained largely the same. It's pretty incredible.
1: Documentary um, called, um, what's that little documentary called? Is it the story of the pencil or about how pencils are made? What's that called? Um, Remind me.
0: I think it is Um, called the story of the pencil.
1: Yeah, which is quite amazing, like, and in the, in the premise is that although it's such a simple thing, no person, you know, can make the modern pencil by themselves, and the current pencils are made from all around the world, you know, graphite from here, and timber from here, and, you know, paint from somewhere else, and they get shipped all around the world, and, and, the, and the way they make them, it's just absolutely fascinating, we'll put the, we'll find a copy to it, and put a link in our show notes to that great little
2: last story about the story of the pencil. Do you happen to know are sales of pencils growing, declining? To me, as a photographer, my analogy is with film photography, and there is a bit of a resurgence amongst kind of nerdy photographers um, to, to do more film photography. So, if, are pencils on the up? Is that the same kind of thing going on, or is it a? Is it? Are we fighting a dying battle here?
0: Um, I don't. I don't think we're fighting a dying battle at all. I think it. I mean, from my vantage point, um, I can't speak for like huge commercial pencil makers, these big conglomerates who own brands like Dixon, Ticonderoga, um, but these smaller pencil manufacturers, from what I understand, their sales are going up, even if ever so slightly. And I think it's similar to analog photography. It's It just has a different value now. It might not be a thing that people are absolutely required to use every day, but it's something that people are rediscovering the pleasure of. And because of that, they're valuing interesting, higher quality materials that have a story. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really, really great thing
2: give us some tips if you were listening to this podcast and you thought i haven't bought a pencil in years but now i'm excited about how do you choose a really good pencil or doesn't it matter can you just use any old 2B? what are your tips for a great pencil experience
0: oh well um the things that make a really good pencil really good it starts with the core of the pencil which um is made from a combination of graphite clay and water and a lot of more modern pencils have other things in them like different types of waxes to make them feel smoother Um, and apart from that, the wood is important because if it's a, it's a, if it's a bad wood, it's not going to sharpen very well. Um, but to, to the naked eye, the most obvious thing one can look for in a pencil, if you're in a store and you're just looking at them, if you, especially if it's an unsharpened pencil, it's easy to tell. If you look at the end of it, you want the core of the pencil where the graphite is to be centered. If it's not centered, it's not going to sharpen correctly. It'll sharpen out like a weird angle. And, and any really high quality pencil should be perfectly centered. Um, that's the first thing you should always look for. Excellent.
2: I'm looking at the, my pencil right now. I can see the core is not quite on center. And I really struggled to sharpen it. I used a hmm. knife, but Find, it was a real... Yeah. Finding <laughs> your center.
1: That is... <laughs> that's... That is that is really uh, that's really fascinating. What a great question! What a great answer, um, Caroline. I'm I'm interested. So you closed down basically because of the pandemic. I think you said to me before you didn't realize how many people, you know, you relied on, uh, you know, that came into the city, whether they were locals or tourists. Um, but you now you've got a, a couple of new ventures that you're doing. Um, do you want to just quickly talk about those?
0: Sure. Um, well, I mean, primarily currently I am working as a retail consultant for other specialty, small retail shops, primarily stationary. It's mostly, um, other really great independent retailers or people who want to open their own independent retailers who just need a little help, um, finding their niche or working through the ways in which they can build a business that's really authentic and wonderful. And, uh, yes, I get to work with other people improving their shops, which is just great fun. And, um, I'm also, working on building a comprehensive database of independent small retailers in New York City. Um, It's a very lofty goal. I'm trying to get them all. I currently have nearly 5,000, and I've worked my way through all of Manhattan, and I'm now just finishing up um, in a large part of the Bronx. Um, And it'll it'll be available to anybody to log on and search um, sometime next year. Um, And it's meant to just be a way to help everyday people who might not otherwise put in the effort to find interesting local places to buy their everyday things. Um, yeah, it's, it's meant to just be a really great resource to learn about and support other small independent retailers. So there might what what be sort of range of things do you
1: have on there? What sort of range of,
0: uh, uh, it's what we you know like. It's any, any like physical storefront that sells that sells physical goods that you would buy and take away, not, not prepared food, but like any, like I, there's a, there's in, um, in Manhattan, there's a saddle shop. You could buy a saddle for your horse in Manhattan. If you can believe it. Um, there are things as niche and specialized as that, or there are just like tons and tons of like variety stores that sell everything or, there, I mean, there are some neighborhoods that just have like t- tons of tire stores. That's where you go if you need tires, like literally anything that is a physical consumer good that you can walk into a shop and buy. Um, so I'm physically walking around New York City and logging all the businesses that I find.
2: Wow. Hey, are you able to tell us what it's called so we can keep an eye out for it, or is that still under wraps? Uh,
0: that's a little under wraps. Um, this is the most I've ever okay. shared about this, to be honest. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to build some framework to expand it to other places, maybe even Australia.
2: Yeah. I just want to go back to, to – this sounds more commercial because you can understand the idea of a database of independent stores. Fascinating. It's like a treasure trove. I'm Thinking back to what you said about um, – CW Pencils, it's kind of ultimately a passion project and it would have been some tough decisions to make it into a commercial enterprise. What's the learning for people who have a passion um, and they kind of think, I mean the classic, as a photographer, one of the classic dilemmas, lots of photographers, do I go pro? i shot mm. a couple of weddings, where, you know, my, people say my shots are great, should I go, should I turn it into a business or not? What would your advice to people who have a passion project be?
0: Um, my advice would be to, to just do it and to trust your guns and to keep it tight and keep it small for as long as you can, because that's where the magic happens. And that's when it's manageable. And I think there's this like sweet spot between like starting a business, making it profitable and, then making that decision to either like just keep doing the good thing that you're doing or to grow. And in my case, I, it was completely unintentional and completely organic, but I had a point where I felt as though my only option was to grow. And I wish there'd been somebody to tell me like, you don't have to do that. You can keep things exactly as they are. If that's where you're comfortable and that's where you feel like you're doing the most good for yourself and others. And, um, yeah, I think it's, like, I, I feel, coming out of this, I feel the opposite of, I think, what, like, most, mo- I guess, the mentality is in most businesses, that, like, you should always seek growth opportunities, and I actually feel quite the opposite.
2: Yeah, I, I, I can remember a moment when I was at secondary school, and we were doing this little module on what is business, and we had to plan for next year. And um, I remember writing some plans, basically saying next year's going to be the same as this year, and I remember being metaphorically slapped around no no your business has to get bigger next year and I'm thinking why and I have to say to this very day I still haven't got a good answer for that <laughs> question um, I, it is, it is I mean, it's, the, it's the foundation stone of capitalism you've got to grow, you've got to get bigger, you've got to get more whatever it is you do you need more of it and uh, so it's reassuring that you make a similar point well that's a, that's a big assumption why can't it be the same keep doing uh, I- what you're doing keep, keep it small for as well as possible
1: yeah, look, I, I think that's a fantastic insight um, to, um, uh, to, to draw it to a close. Before you we know, did, I just wanted to tell a story about, you know, uh, walking. And, you know, and it's, it's in keeping with what you're saying there about not growing. There's a, a, a man that I see, and I've seen him for years in the street. And we just, you know, nod to each other. He's a little short Italian man. And about six months ago, I stopped and introduced myself. So his name's Angelo. And so every morning now we say hello and we often stop and have, have a chat about the weather mostly. And he's got quite a thick accent. And so this morning I just said to him, Angelo, what, do you, what did you do <laughs> with your life? And he's faced I mean, He's always had this great smile. It's not to do with pencils, unfortunately. That would just would have been magic. But he, he said, I was a shoemaker. Uh, and he, he said, I started my apprentice in a little village outside Naples when I was nine years old the school wasn't big enough to take all the kids, kids in the village so they had two shifts so i was in the morning shift and in the afternoon i went my apprenticeship and he basically you know and he told me and i don't remember the dates but literally he moved from there to rome and then after a time he came here and then he worked for a shoe retailer for 27 years and during that time he went back got married brought his wife back and then that uh, shoe retailer closed down and he's just continued to work for other people um repairing mostly repairing so repairing shoes uh repairing you know leather leather goods and stuff like that so it's all about this sort of maintaining and he had no ambition or seemed to have no ambition to you know build a big shoe empire you know he was just happy practicing his craft for his whole life since he's 9 years old and i just thought that was absolutely remarkable um and you know i suppose it brings it back to the thing about the simple thing about well, the wood the woodcase pencil um you know the simple things in life and 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 you have created quite a few years of your life around a very simple object um the pencil which has been an absolutely wonderful story to hear
2: yeah thank you so much caroline i have so enjoyed chatting to you i I desperately hope we will see caroline weaver pencils open again someday and i'd love to come and visit if that ever happens
0: wonderful i will see you then
2: (laughs) thank you caroline
0: thank you
1: oh chris What an amazing conversation and we could have talked for ages and unfortunately we did keep talking after we turned the microphone or the recording off and we actually got some real gems which we want to share. One is, in Caroline's view, the best ever permanent on your desk pencil sharpener is the Karen Dash pencil machine. Uh, She said it's the most sturdy, Uh, she said it's fantastic, but she also gave us another gem
2: Yeah, because I I was trying to find out how we can reconnect with her pencil store, which is now shut, to to see whether it's available online. And the answer is, I'm afraid, it's not online um, and it doesn't exist as bricks and mortar. And she said the thing about online is online is no fun. You need to walk into a physical store, chat to the staff and explore whatever it is they're selling. And so uh, that's interesting um, learning, I think, for anybody thinking of launching a store, whether they should do it online. It's a separate business. It's not as fun as the face to face. So yet more learning inspired by the story of pencils. Yeah, um, well
1: no fact to you went further to say that, you know, the, they um, people hated it when they were on the roster to be in the basement packaging up. You know, it's much more fun being out the front, uh, interacting with the customers. So and and uh, which I suppose leads to why she's doing her current venture about cataloguing five thousand odd uh, small retailers in New York City, which will be hopefully out soon. Yeah, so uh, that's launched,
2: uh, we'll let you know obviously.
1: To the audiences, uh, as always, the show notes will have links to Caroline's old store photos of her CWM Enterprise and her Instagram, etc., etc., her book. Uh, but, um, yeah, please, um, if you've enjoyed this show, please give us a, a rating, preferably five star, and also a review. It will be very helpful to us and we would enormously appreciate
2: Yeah, a few people have been posting reviews recently, and I'm pleased to say they're glowing reviews. Uh, If you've been half-tempted to write a review, please jump online, hit the keyboard, keyboard. I'm afraid you can't write a review in pencil. Uh, We would really appreciate your feedback and your reviews. It helps us spread the word about creativity at work. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this show, and we look forward to seeing you for next week's episode. See you then.